Untreated Social Anxiety, Three Strategies for Dealing with Anxiety. Interview with Brian Sacchetta. So do you ever struggle with social anxiety? And a lot of people do. What do you do to come out of it? How can you still shine and perform at your best despite dealing with this internal structure? Would you like to learn? Then stay tuned. You are in the right place. Our guest, Brian, today is going to share some practical tips of how to deal with this anxiety, overcome social anxiety, and perform at your best. So let's just begin. Thank you for joining today. You are watching Happy and Healthy Mind, episode 106. Brian Chetta is the author and owner of Get Out of Your Head, a brand and a book series that seeks to help folks overcome anxiety and depression. By trade, Brian is a software developer, but then he combines his experience in the tech world with the previous mental health battles to draw parallels between computer systems and the human mind, and then shares these practical strategies for evading their own psychological demons. He writes, he podcasts, he blogs and coaches young adults struggling with anxiety and depression. And I'm your host, Dr. Rosina Lakani. I help compassionate high achievers achieve more, earn more, and make the impact they're meant to make without burnout and without losing their health or career. I'm an executive coach, corporate speaker, and an integrative psychiatrist. I believe that your mind is the software that runs the hardware of your brain and your body. Therefore, I share practical tips for your mental fitness here. If you if you need specific medical advice, please consult your healthcare professional. But if you find this information helpful, then join our mission of eradicating preventable suffering by liking, subscribing, and sharing so more people can live and perform at their best and live their life with hope, health, and happiness. And so let's learn from our guests. Thank you, Brian, for joining us today. Thanks, Dr. Rosina. Great to be here. I love the uh, the the same uh, sort of metaphor with the software that you gave there. I think we're going to have some good overlap and some fun here. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, so tell me, how did this topic become important in your life? Yeah, for sure. I, it really is just sort of a product of personal history, right? So dealt with anxiety for a long time. I would say, you know, about 10 years before I really started to say to myself, like, hey, I've made some progress. I've learned some things. What, what can I do with that information? And uh, I, I don't want to, you know, jump in too far because I know we'll get there eventually. But it was really in high school, in college, dealing with social anxiety, dealing with kind of just being in my head all the time, right? And not knowing what those things were. The journey that I've been on and then also the work that I do with my brand is a product of all of that suffering, right? Anybody who's listening, who's been through anxiety knows that it stinks. And I went through some of that and eventually said to myself, like it, it became such a passion project for me because it was like, it's not one of those things where you, you know, you kind of tinker nights and weekends, or it's like, oh, I, I dabbled in that. I dabbled in this, whatever. It's like, this is who I am. And, and, you know, if I want to sort of um, thrive, I guess I need to share that with the world, so to speak. Wonderful. Wonderful. So we'd love to learn some of those techniques. But before we jump into those techniques, tell me how did the life change after you applied these techniques in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, so here's what I want to say, right? Is in general, I am a much less anxious, much, much less depressed person overall. I don't want to give the impression that 
uh, to listeners that it's like, hey, you know, you, you take this one step, you take this one pill, whatever it is, this silver bullet, anxiety and depression are gone forever. Uh, I think we all know, or a lot of us know that negative emotions are part of the human condition, right? But the important thing is like, can you give yourself the tools or equip yourself with those tools to then be able to find yourself in new difficult situations and say, I'm going to apply these strategies, tactics, whatever they are, and mitigate some of those negative feelings so that, um, you know, we know that life is going to throw tough things our way. But uh, what do we do with them, right? And can we get ourselves to a point where they don't bring us down every day, every hour, that sort of thing? So for me, it's really like, you know, I still have anxiety from time to time. I'm human. Uh, I still have depressive thoughts or whatever every once in a while, but they aren't nearly as, they don't come up nearly as often. And when they do, I feel as though I have the tools to help myself through them. So that's kind of the, that is where the journey has brought me in. And it's, it's really provided a lot of relief. So that that's something that I, I definitely pride myself. Wonderful. On. So the, the my next book that I'm working on, I'm calling it Dodging Depression and Anxiety. Because it's kind of a dance that you play, right? <laughs> you want to win that game as much as possible. Sometimes you're going to lose it. But at least you would be able to have fun in life while doing that. So, yeah. so it seems and like you've been dodging the depression and anxiety. Definitely. And I think, you know, what sort of what you just said leads me to think, right? It's like we sort of say to ourselves, you know, we look at the movie stars and the pop stars and the rich and the famous people, whatever. There, There's no such thing as like uh, getting something for nothing, right? It's like if we want to go live the lives that we want to live, it probably means we need to grow into, you know, more more knowledgeable, more educated, I don't know, more people who understand their emotions a little bit better. And as we grow into those different situations, we take on new tasks, right? So it's like, uh, it's again, it's not that anxiety and depression will never greet us again, that we'll never have to deal with it. It's more as we continue growing um, and we are continually, as you said, dancing with anxiety and depression, do we have the tools required to help us get through those situations? Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, so we'd love to learn some of these tools. So please share what, what can somebody do if they're going through social anxiety? Definitely. So I think and before what is, we jump into, why don't we define what is social anxiety? There you go. Yep. So I was going to say, let's, let's define it. And then we can talk about sort of brass tacks, right? Yeah. So if you think about social anxiety and anxiety, let's start with the, the, the more broad term, right? So anxiety, I like to say is future oriented fear. Uh, fear is more like I am standing in front of a lion right now and I am terrified because I don't know what's going to happen. Anxiety is more of I'm thinking about being in front of a lion two weeks from now, a month from now, whatever it may be. So that's anxiety. Then we say, what is social anxiety? It is that future oriented fear that surrounds our relationships, so social interactions, things like that, right? So a lot of folks, if you talk to them about social anxiety, like what are the the subjects that make them anxious in a social setting. It is giving a presentation or a public speech, going on a date, uh, having a job interview, going to a party, like thinking about making small talk with people uh, and mingling with them and whatnot. And if you think about sort of where anxiety comes from and even a little bit more about the definition, right? It's like, why do we get afraid of things, right? It's sort of, we are afraid of either losing something that we have or missing out on something that is important to us, right? So then if we sort of apply all of that knowledge to social anxiety, if we boil it down, we basically say, why do we get scared in these situations? It's because we care, right? If I'm going to a party 
there's, you know, a, a, there's a person in the room that I want to impress, right? A, a female or something like that. The, the, the sort of uh, warning system in my brain is saying that party is in two weeks. Uh, you have to make a good impression. Like if, if she doesn't like you, then, you know, you're not going to feel good. What if you mess up? You start thinking about all these negative possibilities. So we, you know, we could apply that thinking across all those different domains. But the long and short of it is there are things that are on our calendars or that we're thinking about that we, that we hold important to us. And we are afraid of, again, either, you know, making a mistake, losing out on something, missing out on something. Um, that is sort of the, the fundamental basis of social anxiety, right? It's like, mm -hmm. I, I think if we also step back to evolutionary psychology a little bit, if you think about how we have almost like, you know, the human species has evolved over time, we used to live in really small, like hunter-gatherer tribes, right? And it's almost woven into our DNA and into our nervous systems that, you know, we don't want to be rejected. We don't want our social situations. Like we don't want a conversation to go poorly or something like that. One of the reasons for that is back, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago or, or 25,000 years ago, whatever, if we were living in a small tribe and for one reason or another, like a, a friend or a potential mate rejected us, that could potentially ostracize us from the entire tribe. And then all of a sudden we're forced to live out in, in the wild uh, on our own you know, in these really dangerous conditions. So on some level, our brains are saying to ourselves like, hey, this is reminding me of what happened to our ancestors a long time ago. And there is risk here, right? I think the difference now is that if you think about a, a high school party, a college party, a, a public speech, whatever. Yes, if we mess up in those situations, it could be scary. People could laugh at us, something like that. But it's much different than, say, being isolated from all of society, being rejected from all of society. So sometimes with the social anxiety, we sort of have to remember those comparisons and, and bring ourselves that awareness and calm and be like, OK, I am scared and I, I don't want certain things to happen. But if they did happen, I think I would survive. Right. It might be painful, but I would definitely survive. Yeah. Um, so I think that's enough preamble. Do you want yes. to jump into yeah. some of the strategies? Yeah. And. I just finishing up the preambles, like clinically, when we diagnose somebody with social anxiety, it's kind of the most severe form to the point where the person starts avoiding going to the social situation. So people with social phobia, they, they have such severe fear of either people laughing at them or them doing something that would make them feel embarrassed that they start, they start avoiding places that they would like to go but the anxiety is so much that they are not able to they're not able to communicate or you know i had one patient who who was a, a teacher a professor and and he would get in front of the class and he would sweat so much and he would make his fists so tight he just he could not uh, focus on what he's saying because his mind would play that everybody is saying bad things about him and they're saying that he, he's stupid or he's, uh, he doesn't know anything or whatever. So all the negative thoughts would go through his mind so much that it was very, very hard for him to do his job. So there is a social anxiety is very, very common, but then there's degrees of the anxiety and some people may have like in you know, a mild anxiety that they are able to overcome and some people have more severe form of anxiety that they need additional help. So let's talk about what are the some self-help things that people can do, at least in the uh, milder form of anxiety or moderate form of social anxiety. 
Definitely. And that, that is great context. I love that you added that because like all of these diseases, right, come in so many different shapes and sizes. And it's important to try to speak at least a little bit to each of them. So that way folks that are listening in um, can, can glean some important information. So I do want to talk about the strategies. One that I want to jump into first, right? So little context for folks that are listening, there will be, uh, I believe there'll be a, a nice little giveaway present sort of thing. Uh, and I, should I, should I hold off to it or do I go ahead, reveal go the ahead surprise? Now. You have already okay. revealed half of it. So. <laughs> So or maybe anyway. we can ask people to stay till the end and then we can tell them where to get it. Yes, let's do that. So, you know, I wrote a book in 20, I, you know, I released it in 2018. It's called Get Out of Your Head, uh, a toolkit for living with and overcoming anxiety. In the first half of that book, I focus on like, you know, answering this question, which is how once we once we are already fearful, how can we, you know, approach that fear in a way that allows us to walk it back? You know, in these acutely anxious scenarios, how do we mitigate those negative feelings that we are experiencing? So in that first half of the book, I present a framework called the 10 steps to getting out of your head. Um, we're going to give you, you know, folks that are listening, we're going to make a nice little printout of those 10 steps and then uh, present that as the, as the gift for listening and for the show. Um, kind of have to give that context. Otherwise, it might come off as sort of uh, random what I start to say, right? So if I go into some of these steps to apply them to social anxiety... Step eight right now, uh, I'm working on a little bit of an edit of the first book, just sort of cleaning things up. So right now, step step eight is uh, is called get back to the present moment. In the future, that might be step seven or, or soon it might be step seven, but one way or another, right? So here's what I want to say about getting back to the present moment, right? If we say that anxiety and also social anxiety is basically future-oriented fear, um, then, and, and I know this is going to sound a little too obvious or woo-woo, but like if we are able to return to the moment in front of us, if we are able to stop thinking about, you know, what looms on our calendars or whatever, then it is possible, if not probable, that we can mitigate some of our anxiety. And here's why this is actually like, you know, it's, it's, it sounds kind of glaringly obvious, but here's why I think this is important. Is sometimes, let's say, again, we have a, a, a social outing that's two weeks away on the calendar, and all of a sudden, we're sitting on our couches. We're thinking about that event. We're like, what am I going to say to people? What if that person doesn't like me? I'm shaking hands. Oh, geez, whatever. I'm sweating. You know, we're thinking about all these different things in an attempt to mitigate our anxiety when really all we're doing is, is basically worrying or, or ruminating. We're kind of turning these thoughts over and over again. In going to that place in our minds, right, in jumping two weeks from now in our minds, we are basically experiencing the anxiety that we think we're going to experience at that party. But we don't need to experience that anxiety right now. Uh, and this is one of the things that's kind of crazy, like uh, from my own experience, right? What I have tried to teach myself to do is to forget about those experiences and then just let them come when they come. I know that's scary. I know that that's not going to be approachable for everybody that's listening. But as you get a little bit better with some of these sort of things, right, taking baby steps and saying, okay, maybe I'm going to apply this strategy to uh, just a, a coffee date or like, you know, a conversation with a friend, something that's more approachable, right? If we apply this strategy and say, I'm going to do my best to stay present, right? I'm going to think about what I'm doing right now. I'm going to throw myself into a work-related task. I'm going to read a book, whatever it is. The more that we can stay present before that moment arri arrives, whether it's, you know, that let's say that social outing, the more we're going to keep ourselves in a calm state, which is going to then, once we get to that party, um, it's going to be harder for our bodies to sort of rev up out of control and, uh, you know, bring us that that anxiousness. Now, the tricky thing about this, right, is like 
The reason why we don't want to do that, the reason why we want to continue to ruminate is because we, our brains love certainty, right? They want to know how this event is going to go. So it's almost as if we don't have trust. We don't trust our bodies. We don't trust the scenario. So we say to ourselves, no, 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 I'm going back there in my mind because I need to know that I'm not going to be anxious. And in doing that, it's almost this paradox, like, you know, counterintuitively, we are creating more anxiety and we are making it more likely that by the time we actually get to that event, we will be horribly anxious. So to sum up, getting back into the present moment, right? What does it mean? Go for a walk, listen to your favorite song, find ways to stop thinking about that very subject that scares you, whether it's a social outing, uh, you know, a, a first date or something like that. I use a mantra that I teach my patients when they are worrying about, like, you know, I call it uh, nagging of what if, what if this happened, what if that happened? So the three parts to that mantra, and first one is, I choose not to suffer before suffering. Love it. <laughs> because, because, you know, like you were describing, you're just kind of suffering and thinking about it constantly before th something happens. It may or may not happen. Or it exactly, may happen right? a long time in future. So the second part of the phrase is, so first part is, I choose not to suffer before suffering. I will deal with the problem. If it happens, then it happens. Love that too. The third is, and I'm going to focus and take steps to get the results I want rather than the results I don't want. It's, it's so good. It's basically everything that I talk about. So yeah, I love it. Thank you. So yeah, it's like, you know, there's parallel and clinically that, that this really helps. So thank you for sharing. What awesome. are your other tips? Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to, you gave me a platform here, so I'm going to jump right into it. So step sure. five is none other than recite a powerful mantra. So Dr. Rosina already graciously did that for us. I, I want to talk a little bit about sort of the, not really the science, but just the philosophy of this, right? So we talk about getting out of your head, right? My, my brand and the, sort of the, the titles of my books and stuff. All of the steps that I present to people are basically different ways for us to get out of our heads. And it's like, what does it mean to get out of your head? It's, it's basically to put down worry, to stop the suffering that, that you mentioned, Dr. Rosina. So it's like, when it comes to reciting a powerful mantra, it's just another way for us to get ourselves out of our minds, sort of like people will talk about the monkey mind, right? It's like uh, our evolutionary brain that just loves to think about problems. And it's almost like we are infants, right? In a way where our, our monkey minds are crying, crying, crying. And if you, you know, if you've ever raised a child or been around a child, you give it a toy and all of a sudden it's like, oh, look at this toy. What, what was it? You know, and it totally forgets about what it was thinking about a second ago. So reciting a powerful mantra is a way to ground ourselves. It's a way to get out of our minds and back into our body. So as we say, whatever that mantra is, whether it's the one that you mentioned, Dr. Rosina, or something like, you know, one, one that I say is like, if you get in your head, you're dead. And I, I, I will say I stole that from Tony Robbins, or I borrowed it from him. So that, that is not my own, but I've adopted that one. It just allows us to distract ourselves, right? It, it, it gives us something to detach from the worries in our minds. And it's really important because, again, the more that we stay in our minds, the more that we think about that event that's on the horizon, we suffer, you know, and, and I think, Dr. Rosini, you said, uh, we suffer almost, what was it? It was like, unnecessarily right 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 because what what you just said that let's say if it is something is happening two weeks later okay so you're constantly thinking about it and you're suffering for those two weeks and if if everything goes well then you have suffered for no reason right and things do go bad then you would suffer twice 
because you've already suffered in your mind for those two weeks and then you will suffer again. Do you really want to suffer twice? Right. And one thing that I find interesting, I'm not trying to, you know, downplay what it means for something to go bad. Like things can go really poorly and that can be very, very bad. But I have found in my own life, right? If it's like, if I'm worrying about going out on a first date and then I go and I make a fool out of myself, like I will have worried about that for the previous week. And on the other side of that, I'm like, oh, okay. Like my life goes on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it stinks. I I wish it didn't happen, but like, I'm not going to sit here like in, in my despair and just wallow in it. Right. It's like, on the other side of whatever it means to go bad. Like, I think we, again, we have to bring that word trust into the equation and say, we trust ourselves. We are going to course correct no matter what happens. Now, obviously I would say no matter what means 99% of the time, right? Sometimes truly awful things happen, but I'm talking about more the day-to-day manageable things that uh, if they were to cross our paths, we would figure out how to deal with them. Yeah. And because like you said, like, you know, many times you make it much bigger than what it is. And, and so, Sometimes when I'm doing this technique, I ask like, what is the chance of the bad thing happening? How many times the bad things have happened in past? And they say, maybe it has happened one time and then 99 times it never happened. So there's 1% chance that things may go bad. There's 99% chance that things may go good, but still your mind is spending 99% time on the thing that may only happen 1%. So yeah, sometimes we, we make it much bigger or we, think about that things going, the chances of things going bad is going to be much higher than it actually is. Yep. You're hitting all the notes right now. I feel like we are, we are riffing on, on like we have all the same, very similar ideas. So uh, it's great. Wonderful. So what's your third tip? So I'm going to do the same thing, right? You, you know, you talked about mantras in the last one I went into mantras. I'm going to talk about sort of the inflating of importance, right? So let's hit two real quick. Uh, So I've got this step. It's step one, which is just to breathe. Another one of those that sounds kind of hilariously obvious or unhelpfully obvious. Um, But the thought, right, is like when we, when our nervous systems, when our autonomic nervous systems, which is our our fight or flight systems, when those are revved up, it's really hard for us to think clearly. In order to get that system to power down, we need to breathe deeply. And specifically, we need to get a deep exhale. When we do that, we activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is sort of the calming part of our autonomic nervous system. Once we calm down a little bit, like our entire body will be, you know, down a level. And not only it's like, will we be able, we'll we'll not only be able to uh, think a little bit more clearly, access a little bit more logic, but it's it's almost the the internal mechanisms that are like firing and making us feel crazy. Like they are, they'll be shut off a little bit. And so we won't feel the need to think the scary thoughts as much, that sort of thing. So as I say, step one, breathe. I think we know that one a little bit. Let's go into step two, which was the one that, Uh, that you, you know, you made me think of that. I said, it was awesome because we're kind of on the same page here is so step two is determine the true importance of what's making you anxious. And the reason why I had to say step one first is if you are really revved up, if you are really worried and overthinking things right now, if you're in that fight or flight state, it's going to be hard for you to say to yourself, like somewhat slowly, methodically, calmly, like, oh, you know, Dr. Rosina is right. I've been in this situation a hundred times before and only one time has it gone poorly. So there's a 1% chance that I go to this event and things end poorly. And even on that one time that I did go, I figured it out, right? If you're really worried, if you're really revved up, it's going to be hard to come to those calming conclusions. So I'm sort of, you know, giving these two strategies as, as almost a package deal, right? So it's like, first we breathe, we get ourselves in a calm state. 
And then we say to ourselves, what is real, like, what is the true level of the importance of this issue? Am I blowing this out of proportion? Am I making it out to be a bigger deal than it is? If I actually go to this party and I mess up in some capacity, if I spill a beer on the ground, if I, you know, stumble, slur my words, whatever, are people really going to laugh me out of the room? Probably not, right? And it's like, until we are calmed down, it's hard to access those calming sorts of reassuring thoughts. Great. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much parallel that, you know, in the practice that we apply and it helps people. So like, you know, deep breathing, becoming mindful and questioning. My book, uh, Stress to Joy, I use the formula called uh, Mind CPR. So the C is for calming down. And then P is for processing what is coming from outside that is not in your control and what you are doing that is in your control and then responding intentionally, doing what is in your control. So there's kind of, again, another parallel between your work and my work. That's but, great. Uh, yeah, let's continue. What other tips do you have for us? Sure. I think we said we were going to cover three. We've covered four. Do we want to do more or what do you think? Well, maybe we can just give one more bonus. Um, I know we're kind of coming towards the end of time, but we may have a few minutes to do one more. Okay, that sounds good. I'm just going to pick this one off. It's step 10. Remember, this too shall pass. What happens when we get anxious, right, is like it consumes us. It the, the subject over which we are afraid blinds us. And all of a sudden, again, going back to step two, it feels as though it is the most important thing in the world. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes there are situations that are really important to us. I'm not trying to downplay any of those things. I'm speaking to the 99% of cases in our lives where it's like, again, if something went wrong, we would figure it out, right? Remember this too shall pass is sort of just this reminder to ourselves to say, even though this thing looks so important and so scary to me today, guess what? In two weeks, one way or another, I will be on the other side of that event. Maybe it goes poorly, maybe it doesn't. But all this fear that I'm feeling that, feels as if it will never go away. It'll be gone in two weeks, right? Again, there are, as we said, there are different varieties of anxiety. And so, you know, maybe as we're talking about social anxiety, I think, I think the reason why these strategies apply is with social things, they, uh, you know, that, that anxiety tends to center around specific moments in time. Where it can be tricky to talk about this stuff is more, you know, if we're talking about generalized anxiety disorder or something like that. Somebody may say like, remember this too shall pass. Like, dude, I wake up every day and I am anxious, you know? So maybe that one doesn't apply in that scenario, but just trying to throw some ideas out there that might help the listener, right? And the sort of the, the approach that I give with my books, with my blog is I want people to be able to create their own mental health toolkits. So I throw a lot of different ideas at folks in hopes that they will pick a few of those ideas off and be like, I like those five. I like those 10, whatever. Put them in you know, a specific place in their mind or write them down on paper and maybe even have different strategies for different situations. And then when they get in those situations, they say, you know, I'm pulling out the three ones that resonated most with me in the realm of social anxiety. So I guess sort of just to tie things all back up, right? Step number 10, remember this too shall pass. Again, it's like sometimes the anxiety that we feel, it, it's overwhelming. It pushes us down. It feels like we are stuck here forever. But I can, I can assure you that like, you know, and I'm just one person, but I can assure you that I've, I've been through a lot of those scenarios where it's felt like, man, I am trapped in this forever. And those things pass as well. Right. And then the, the, the sort of funny thing is either after that event, we'll find something else to worry about. Or like maybe something good happens and then all of a sudden we shift our, our perspective entirely. So I like that one too. 
Wonderful, wonderful. And, you know, let me reinforce that. I have been a psychiatrist for now 24 plus years. And, you know, one of the major problems, let's say when people are having panic attacks, uh, the biggest problem with the, with the panic attack is not the panic attack itself, but it's a fear of panic attack. And once people learn this phrase that it is going to pass, that they are able to handle it much better. So once that they are able to pass that fear, then it loses the hold on them. And so whether it's social anxiety or general anxiety or panic attack by itself, you know, any situation, you get this panicky and the bigger problem is that fear that that may happen. And as soon as you are able to come to this conclusion, okay, this is another panic attack, this is another difficult situation, this is going to pass, then you're able to calm down. One additional tip that I would say is, in addition to breathe, sometimes just sitting down and drinking a glass of water plays magic in terms of calming your parasympathetic system down so you can think through and take the steps that are in your control. I love it. Yeah, it's almost like sitting on the chair, like grounds you, you know? Yes, yes. And the coolness of the water. Definitely. As it goes, because when you are like really anxious, you're kind of getting really hot and you're breathing fast and, you know, things are kind of getting out of control. So just kind of sitting down and drinking the glass of water, breathing calms you down. Then your brain is able to think better. Well, I didn't realize we were having so much fun. We are out of time for today. So let's share with people where can they, where can they reach you if they need more information about you? Yeah, best place to find like my materials and there's a way to reach out to me through my website uh, is is the website. So it's getoutofyourhead.com, G-E-T-O-U-T-O-F-Y-O-U-R-H-E-A-D.com. I will say uh, that I, I haven't spelled that one out on a podcast before, so I, <laughs> I, I had to test my own ability to spell things, which is, is, is a new challenge for me. Um, Wonderful. Well, you'll grow out of it too. <laughs> that is that is true. Also, if you want to find me on Instagram, um, my handle is get out of your head. It's the same spelling. There's no dashes, no spaces. Love to connect with folks. Please shoot me a DM if uh, if you have something that you'd like to say. Wonderful. And thank you for sharing the gift that you were talking about, 10 steps to getting out of your head. And folks, if you guys want access to this gift, you can head on to our website, happyandhealthymind.com. Again, it's happyandhealthymind.com. And if you are in US, then you would like us to send you a text with the link for the resource and reminders for future program, you can text the word joyful, J-O-Y-F-U-L to the number 38470. And we'd be happy to send you those links. Let me leave you guys with one question today is the first day of the rest of your life. What do you choose today? Are you going to let your monkey mind, constantly thinking mind, ruminative mind, keep robbing you of all the opportunities that life may present to you? Or are you going to take one small step towards conquering and dodging this anxiety, this depression, so that you could live your best life and enjoy each moment. On that note, stay safe, happy, and healthy. Until next time, Dr. Rosie. Thank you, Brian, for joining me. Thanks for having me.